Welcome back to Sticky Standards, episode number 15. Sticky Standards. Professional learning that sticks. This is Dana Richardson again, and welcome back to Sticky Standards, professional learning that sticks. Today, I am thrilled. I have my dear friend here, Cindy Couchman. Cindy and I have been buds for a long time and just is one of my very favorite people. Cindy, welcome to Sticky Standards. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about you, Cindy? Well, um, I had the fortunate um, experience to work with Dana at Bueller um, High School in the Bueller School District. She was actually the one who hired me. So a lot of what I know, um, I've learned uh, from Dana and her training. And um, I've been a math teacher there for going on 20 years, hard to believe. Wow. And um, love being a leader in the professional learning communities and continue being a teacher leader in our district and across the state. Thank you. Another thing about Cindy, she was Kansas Teacher of the Year. Several, how many years now, Cindy? 2009, so that dates me a little bit. I'm, I'm has-been. Yeah. <laughs> and she just returned from a conference in Minneapolis with a, a group of, of Teachers of the Year. Mm-hmm. So she's a, she's a constant learner. That's really who she is. So, well, thank you. Today we're going to talk a lot about professional learning communities. So... Um, Cindy, why don't you just share a little bit first about your story around professional learning communities? We started professional learning communities in Bueller by studying the RIC to four model. And I think there are different models for learning communities, um, but you have to have some model to start with, in my opinion, that you just can't be thrown together and say, all right, become a community and learn. And so we started with the learning community under um, RIC to four. We you know, I look back now and it's so far from what we do now, <laughs> but we had to have some starting point. And so we did the mission and the vision and mm-hmm. the pillars and we created all of those things. And we still use his um, main questions. You know, what mm-hmm. are you teaching? How are you teaching it? Um, how do you know if they've learned it? What are you going to do if they don't? We still use those still questions. And he has a wonderful checklist that we still use to kind of keep our learning community focused. And from there, we just, um, after we got that basic Um, structure going. Then we started using data. And I think that data gave us something to refer to. Otherwise, I think communities sort of flounder because they they get the checklist, they check off all the things, and then they're sort of looking at each other going, now what? We have this time. How are we Mm going to use it? But if you have data to look at, it's amazing how you can really focus on student learning from there. And so we really just took a look at um, looking at data. And then from there, we've kind of grown. And we've really, I think, taken the professional learning community in the math department and at Bueller a lot deeper than just looking at data. Okay. as it, And so you've been a team leader, the math team leader, uh, from its inception. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, I, I always agree with you, we started with DeFord, and we always say we've all been DeFord. Uh, but Rick will even say that you know, he really helped us understand the why and the what, didn't especially help us on the how. How do we work in communities? How do we have a dialogue? And so we worked a lot with adaptive schools. Mm-hmm. And how did that help you as a team leader? Or what would you see maybe are the keys to that? You know, when I reflect on it, how our community became a really a learning community is we came to understand each other. 
And I think it's through personality tests, recognizing strengths and weaknesses, those non-cognitive skills that I learned um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota just recently, that we understand what each other's weaknesses and strengths are, and we play to that. Um, When you combine the understanding of non-cognitive skills with this structure of professional learning communities, I think that that's what's really taken us to a new level in my department. Um, That and we've really, you know, that understanding of each other builds trust and it become now a culture. And then through that trust and culture of, of wanting to learn, um, that's what I think has enabled us to take it to the next level, not just a structure, but a true caring about each other. I always say that we're each other's biggest cheerleader and, um, to be a good teacher, you have to be a good cheerleader and to be a good team member. I think you have to be a good cheerleader. And that means picking up when people are down. It means recognize when people have done something great, and the, the understanding each other's weaknesses and strengths makes us stronger because I know that I'm not the most organized person, but I have someone in my department that is. And so they do all the organization. Um, I've got some big thinkers, like I have this big project I want to do, but I have no way to implement it. But I have a team member that's really good at the details. So we share those responsibilities. And it's really through collaborative sharing that's made us mm-hmm. um, really a strong team. Yeah, I remember uh, – uh- I think of maybe an English teacher at, at your high school that said, through collaboration, all of us go from being an average teacher to a good teacher. Right. Yeah. I think that that's very true. I, and, you know, they push each other. It, we're competitive. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We like to, we like to be the best. Um, and we, we even compete with each other, but it makes us better mm-hmm. because we, it, the, everybody is our students. Because even if I don't teach Algebra 1 and maybe I teach Geometry, those Algebra 1 students will become my students the next year. And so we, we look at it as our, all of our students. So my success is their success. My um, failure is their failure. So there's ownership in that. And you're right. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. It makes us better. And I really do think that success breeds success. Me too. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about data. Can you share maybe the first success you had around using data to change practice in the classroom that resulted in student learning? Yeah, I can remember the very first, um, we, we had studied data-driven dialogue, and we talked about assumptions. And that was really a powerful way of looking at data. So if anyone's out there looking at data, they, like, okay, I have this data, and I sit it in front of my team, and we just look at it, and we don't talk about anything. I think that reading data-driven dialogue helped our team. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's other models out there, mm-hmm. but that's the one that I was trained in. And so we looked at those assumptions ahead of time, and we said, okay, before you look at the data, I have the data, keeping it close to my heart. What do you think it's going to say about teaching slope? It was a very specific mathematics concept that we had not done well on the state assessment. And they didn't know that yet. And we, had, we were all over the place. The Algebra 1 teachers thought, I taught slope for a semester. They're going to rock it. The Algebra 2 teachers were like, I know what those Algebra 1 kids come in and remember about slope. They did horrible. The geometry teachers really didn't know. I mean, they were like, oh, I, can't, I don't know. Um, so we were all over the place, and we talked about why those assumptions existed. And then we looked at the data, and we had some real honest discussions about what's happening with slope and how can we make it better. And that was when we developed our first lesson study and said, okay, well, let's look at the lesson surrounding slope. And we spent, I would say, the good part of a year of our professional development time on slope. And the next year, the state assessment came out, 
And I, if you want a 2000 bit nervous, because I thought, what if we spent all this time on it and it didn't improve? <laughs> what then? But um, so it came out. I still hadn't told him. I said, so what do you think about slope now? And we did the assumptions and everybody was very positive. They was like, oh yeah, we improved it. I know we improved it. And we got the data back and sure enough, we did. And so that was the very first really data-driven discussion that affected our instruction, that it drew, drove a professional development activity around a lesson study that had positive results. Now, I can't say that it's 100% like that all the time, mm-hmm. but that was our first experience, and it was so positive that we really, really grew from that. And, you know, gosh, having somebody come in your classroom, your colleagues, I mean, it's one thing to have a principal or administrator come in that doesn't know about mathematics maybe but knows about instruction, <laughs> but it's something different to have a math teacher come in that knows the math and the instruction. And so those lesson studies were really a building of trust in our department because you have to really trust each other to welcome them in and have an honest dialogue about what they're observing with the students. Talk to us just a little bit of what's the definition of a lesson study and how did you do it on that day that I remember? I think it was a January day. Yeah. You know, there I've looked. There are lots of different definitions of lesson study. The one that we developed was a long time ago and it was really based upon the Japanese model at the mm-hmm. time. Now there's lots of different versions. But basically what it was is we had come together and developed a lesson plan, all of us together, of how we were going to teach this lesson. And all of us had input, and we watched one teacher teach it. All of us, um, we had substitutes in the building, very much supported by our leadership and our administration at that time, and still do. Um, and we watched each other teach. We watched one teacher teach, and then we went back, including the teacher that taught, and we looked at it and got feedback about what were the students observing. We were really focusing on observing the students and what their behavior was. What we what students were engaged, which ones weren't. How was how could we engage them more? And tweaked it. We had another. We're fortunate because we taught algebra pretty much every section. <laughs> so then we went to another teacher, and bless her heart, it was a first year teacher. I can't imagine what that must have been like having us all come in. Yeah, and Kansas we went, Teacher of the Year come in and observe yeah, you as our first year teacher. And so um, we and we did it again, and we d- repeated that process three times. So we watched it t- taught, reflected, watched it taught, reflected, watched it taught, reflected. And we tweaked it every time. We never, it was never the exact same lesson we saw. And it was not a scripted lesson. Somebody said, so you just, like the teachers read a script. Not, we didn't set it up that tight. Mm -hmm. Now I've seen some that are, we did not do that because we really feel like it's our philosophy that we can set up the guaranteed curriculum, but the instruction, um, your own personality is going to come into play with that. And I've also seen that work with fourth grade team around measurement. I've seen a sixth grade team around using technology and not technology. So I think that it's just so open-ended, but mostly the joy is that watching each other teach and watching the kids. And, you know, the unintended consequences of that were pretty powerful. Um, We have a whole new appreciation for each other's teaching styles, um, how they relate to students. We saw things that we did and talked about things that we did that we didn't realize, (laughs) you know, that we were doing. Um, both positive and negative things, feedback, were given to us on instructional strategies. And although we were focusing on the students, it couldn't help but come back to, um, as a teacher, you wanted to hear, like, okay, well, what did you think of my questioning technique? Was mm-hmm. I calling just on the male students? Was I calling just on the female students? So there were unintended consequences mm-hmm. of that. So, again, that first one was successful. Right. How thank ex- goodness. Yes. <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness. So how has that evolved now, Cindy? Um, well, now and talk to me about that trust again. Oh, uh, you know, I th- you know I look at your the, the um, learning forwards um, 
standards. Mm-hmm. And every time I look at them, and if you haven't been on the Sticky Standards website, you really should. There's um, a location on there. And I love this, um, I don't know what you would call it, this chart that has all the standards up top mm-hmm. where one one standard is missing. And on there, um, to me, the most powerful part of them is, to me, learning communities. And it leads. It's the first standard. Mm-hmm. Because through learning communities, you can look at resources, you can look at data, you can look at learning designs, you can implement, you can look at outcomes. But the one that's not quite as associated with learning communities is leadership. And that leadership from the board of education down to your team leader and everything in between is so important because the leadership that you have can make it safe to fail. And without being safe to fail, I don't know if a learning community can ever, ever really soar because you have to be able to be able to, to fail. And that culture of trust is built through that and, and sharing each other's failures and sharing each other's successes and sharing with the administration and having that culture is so important. We, d- we developed that by eating together, um, going to the camp, um, going to campgrounds together and camping out and boating together, um, sharing each other's families and hearing their stories, and listening to each other. And listening is a skill that you think everybody knows how to listen. Hmm. Not so much. Not so much. And so we've really learned how to listen to each other, and that's been helpful. And it takes time. It's If you're just new in a professional learning community, it will take time to build that culture of trust. Um, give yourself a couple years and invest some time in it. And I think it's almost so... Um Sometimes in the non-academic uh, learning communities, it almost takes longer. I can mm-hmm. remember with our PE folks, at first they weren't sure what data to use. At first they weren't quite sure. And so I think we as administrators trusted in the process. And three years later, they wrote a grant for a million dollars, and it's changed all of our practice. So sometimes trusting the process and and. Yeah, just trusting the process. It is. And, you know, we're fortunate in math in some ways because we have so much data. And we love to look at data. <laughs> we like to break it down and disaggregate it and look at the numbers and look at the averages and then throw out the extreme values and the highs and lows. Well, so we're very obsessed with it. Um, in some areas, you don't have the data necessary to look at or quite as much. And you don't really like looking at it. So if you don't have that, there are other things you can look at, instructional strategies. And we have since... We've almost moved away a little bit from data in our professional learning communities for a little while because of the what's happening with the Common Core. And we're starting to look at more at philosophical differences in our department, um, homework, grading. We've done book studies. We are really pushing each other philosophically now to come together as what is, as a department, our philosophy on homework, um, on what we report to students, on those non-cognitive skills, what role technology should play. Um, and so it's meant more to instructional strategies and the big picture rather mm-hmm. than just data, 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 data. Mm-hmm. And we, but we had to start there. So I think everybody has to start there because mm-hmm. it springs board you to mm-hmm. something deeper. It certainly does because it's what the, without the data, you don't know about continuous improvement. Right. You just have a hunch. Mm-hmm. So that whole collective response, it, it, it created for you all the collective responsibility and the continuous improvement and that curiosity even when you did your golf projects, whatever it was, that curiosity and that collective commitment, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, it is our motto that we all teach seniors. 
And, you know, in the math department, we really take that very literally, that we all teach each other's kids. And that collective responsibility for each one of our students is very important. And it's not um, an isolated success or an isolated failure. It's, it's a collective responsibility for each other. You've often talked about the three R's. Yes. Uh, and the first one being relationships. So you've t- just now talked about that with mm-hmm. trust. How does that fit into what you've just learned recently with the non-cognitive skills? Well, we at it in the National Network of State Teachers of the Year in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we heard from some great speakers, including um, Dana's friend, Joellen Killian, <laughs> who will be here soon, I believe, mm-hmm. on, a, on a podcast. Amazing information. Um, another, another person we heard from... Um, was a man named by Richard Roberts, and he was the lead researcher, lead researcher with ETS, which is the Educational Testing Services. And there's some research that just came out on non-cognitive skills, and there are six skills that are highly correlated to completion of a college degree and success in life, and success being defined as money, mostly monetary. Um, and those six traits are adaptability or flexibility, teamwork, creativity, ethics, resiliency, and time management. And when you look at those six things, we're looking at in our department right now is how can we report to parents where the student stands on that, either through um, informal or formal data, and maybe more informal right now with observational. But parents want to know those things. Those non-cognitive skills have a higher correlation than some of the academic skills of ACT scores, GPA, in later life. And so we need to do a better job as our in our department and as a school system as a whole in in either teaching those and reporting those and helping students improve in those skills. What's going to be your first step or your next step? Well, our next step is definitely going to be um, looking at how we evaluate those. And we won't include it probably in our grading system, but we want to be some sort of reporting out, um, collecting observational data. And we're going to start with resiliency. And Mm -hmm. the reason we're starting with resiliency is it's one of the eight um, mathematical practices of perseverance in the mathematics. So we can tie that into Common Core, and we want to we want to really want to teach perseverance, and that means um, being a bigger cheerleader than we've ever been before with students, doing more project-based learning types of mm-hmm. activities, um, looking at more of the Dan Meyer type problems, and where you have to persevere to solve the problem. You can't just say, oh, I don't know how to do that problem. I'm going to go to the next, next question, because the whole project is that problem. Wow. So that's where we're going to start. We would like to then lead into time management, and time management can be tied very directly into homework and um, class time used. So those are some very much observational data that we can use. Some of the others are a little harder. Ethics is a little harder right. to, to judge. Creativity in mathematics is also a little bit more, more difficult. Teamwork is one of those that we can also observe. And they can, yeah. um, you know, the students can evaluate each other and do self-reflection sure. on those. Sure. And they see you guys modeling that all the time. Absolutely. You know. For a long time, Roland Barthes' quotes about learning communities have been my favorite. And so I'm going to read them right now. Okay. And you, the listeners, can hear this is exactly what Cindy's been talking about. He says, in learning communities, actions of educators include, number one, talking with one another about your practice. You've done that. Check it off, yes. Check it <laughs> off. Yes, we have to have sharing our craft knowledge. Absolutely. Observing one another while we are engaged in our practice. Those lesson studies, if you haven't done a, been a part of a lesson study, I really suggest you get out there and be, observe each other. There's nothing more powerful than watching another teacher teach. Absolutely. And the last one is rooting for one another's success. That's your leading. Yeah. So you've just walked your talk on that. That's, that's just amazing. When you look at the other two R's, Cindy, 
not only relationships, but rigor and relevance. relevance. How does that all fit together for your team? Well, the rigor has definitely come into play with the Kansas um, College and Career Readiness Standards. They have definitely made it much more rigorous in the mathematics curriculum. And so that's been easy. We've also looked at putting more AP classes in. We were looking at AP stats. And not that necessarily AP means more rigorous. Um, I can teach the same class without the AP designation. And really, I feel like it would just be as rigorous. But it is something that you can use as a standard. Um, And then, obviously, the relevance doing more project-based learning and doing more of the Dan Meyer projects. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't know what Dan Meyer is, he's really one that just says, take a picture of a, a situation that's real life, a faucet dripping in a sink, and then ask the, ask the kids the question, like, what would you ask? What's, if I show you this picture of water dripping, what comes to mind? And most of the kids automatically go to, how much water is being wasted? Mm-hmm. Great question. Why don't you go answer it? And that becomes their math project. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at doing some more of those types of project-based learnings in mathematics, and that really is relevant to the students, especially if they come up with their own. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That certainly is. Well, this has been a joy. Yes. An absolute joy. Why don't, just for our takeaway, uh, what more might you want to share with our listeners around learning communities and teacher leadership? I would say this. Don't ask for someone to come up to you and ask you to be a leader. If you're a teacher, you don't have to have a formal title to be a teacher leader. You can be a teacher leader by walking your talk, by being an active member of your community, um, by being a lifelong learner. Learn during the summer. Learn all the time. Share what you know. Because part of being a leader in a community of professionals is sharing your knowledge and sharing what you've learned. And so don't ask for someone to take a role or a paid position or think, well, I can't be a teacher leader because and come up with it. The time is now. We need more teacher leaders in this state and the way our economy and our education system is being set up right now than we've ever needed. And um, whether it's formal or informal, informal, now is the time to step up to the plate and get more politically active, get more active in your um, school system, get more active with your own kids, get more active in your community. Um, and don't wait. The time is now. The time is now. And what a joy, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for Sticky Standards today.